Good morning, Skyline. It's uh, really good to be with you on second service this morning. Um, and I want to th- welcome all of our first-time guests. If you're a first-time guest, uh, welcome. Hopefully, uh, you feel welcome here with us today. Um, and make sure you take your connection card filled out back to the concierge at the end of the service. They have a gift that they would like to exchange uh, with you for that card. Um, and we are also glad um, that if you're joining us on Facebook this morning, you're glad, we're glad that you uh, took the time uh, to tune in uh, and spend that with us this morning. Um, as I said, my, my name is Mike. Um, I do get a chance from time to time um, to uh, speak on Sunday mornings. Uh, but my real passion here at Skyline is uh, something called the Band of Brothers. It's our men's ministry, um, and we've uh, patterned it uh, as a Band of Brothers. And uh, some of you know that recently um, we took a trip. We took 10 guys over to Europe for uh, a week-long trip. Uh, we were over there celebrating the 75th anniversary of D-Day and um, the liberation of Europe and uh, all that that um, means. So uh, it was not just for the sightseeing that we were there, but um, we're also there to pay our respects uh, to the men and women who, uh, who died in that cause. Um, we went through um, six countries in eight days. It was a little bit of a, a whirlwind tour. And um, you know, while we were over there, we had a great time. Uh, but not everything went totally smoothly, as you can imagine. Um, there was a lot of logistics involved. So um, today, uh, we're going to talk about um, the character of God. We're continuing in that series. In fact, we're concluding it today. And the title of the message is, What's in a Name? We're going to look at uh, some of the names that we find for God in the book of Genesis, um, specifically as it relates to this man, Abraham. Uh, But before we do that, um, I want to tell you a a little bit more about the trip because it ties in uh, to um, our theme today, which is God is our provider. So uh, we went over, flew into um, London, and the plan was that Pastor Chris and JD uh, were going to fly immediately from London to Paris because uh, we were going to be getting there via... um, uh, the ferry that crosses the English Channel, but we were going to be getting there on a Sunday morning, and there was no way to rent the vehicles that we would need to rent. So they had to fly ahead uh, to Paris and rent two vehicles, drive them back so that they could pick us up when we got there the next day on the ferry. Um, so we went, eight guys went our own way. We were going to go to London and look at the museum there before we went down to Portsmouth. And uh, J.D. and Chris were doing their own thing. Well, it wasn't long before we got a text from J.D. and then Chris. Um, We had a problem. Chris's passport um, was expiring uh, a few weeks after we were going to be back. But we didn't know that you can't fly into Europe um, if your passport is inside of six months of expiry. I didn't know that. So they wouldn't let him fly to Paris. Um, They said, you know, take it up with the U.S. Embassy, and the embassy's closed on Saturday and Sunday. So we had no uh, backup plan immediately. Um, So we're texting back and forth, what do we do? And and by this time, we were already down in Portsmouth, um, you know, preparing for the the ferry that we were going to take. 
Uh, so we landed on a plan that Chris would try to catch a train and meet up with us in Portsmouth. Um, and we called ahead to the ferry people, and they said, oh yes, you, you will be able to get in if you take the ferry. It's just the airports that don't let you do that when your passport is so close to expiring. So we had a plan. Uh, and then we're getting messages from Chris. I, I got a train, but it, it made me stop here, and, and the, the train uh, is not going any further. I'm kind of in the middle of nowhere, um, waiting for the next train. Um, and then we got a text, uh, the next train has been canceled. And then we got a text, the next train has been canceled. So about the time we got the text that said, guys, I don't know if I'm going to make it. Uh, we all decided it was time to stop and pray and ask God to provide because we were out of options. It, it, you know, it was beyond our control. And, and that is true so often in our own lives, right? When we, we try to do everything we know to do to fix the problem, and then when we're out of options, oh, let's, let's ask God to come through for us. Um, so we were eating our meal um, and um, got a text from Chris. Uh, I'm here. I've arrived at Portsmouth. And God, God provided miraculously, but it was, it was touch and go um, for a while. So the big idea this morning um, around the fact that God is our provider is this. A true worshiper holds nothing back, giving obediently to God, trusting in his provision. I'll say it again. A true worshiper holds nothing back, giving obediently to God and trusting in his provision. So provision is a big part of what we want to talk to you about this morning. So I looked up the word provision in the dictionary, and this is what I came up with. A supply of food, drink, or equipment, especially for a journey. Well, I like the, the last part of that definition, the part about the journey, because um, our spiritual lives often, um, we refer to it as a journey. Around Skyline here, we, we like to say that all of us are on a journey. And that journey is to discover truth and meaning and purpose. And we believe that we've found that in a relationship with God through the person of Jesus Christ. But what about the first part? Like, how do I equate a supply of food, drink, and equipment to this idea that God provides? Well, if you think of a supply of food, drink, and equipment, you probably envision something like a jar of freeze-dried fruit or a bag of trail mix that you would take on a camping trip. But that's not the kind of provision that we're going to be talking about this morning. When we speak of God's provision, the stakes are much, much higher because our journey is primarily a spiritual one, not a physical one. So... What is the spiritual meaning of provision? What is the equivalent of camping provisions in the spiritual realm? Well, allow me uh, to share a personal illustration here around this idea. So as a married couple, my wife Lynn and I set out, a, as many of you would, to start a family. And um, it didn't go well. Um, in fact, after two years of trying to start a family and having no results, we really began to wonder whether it was in God's plan for us at all to have any children. 
But we prayed and basically committed it to God. What else could we do at that point? And then God provided a daughter, Charlotte. Um, a little bit over a year and a half later, God provided another daughter, Emma. And another year and a half went by and God provided a third daughter, Corinne. Um, so God has been very good to us. Um, but it was about another year and a half later after Corinne that um, Lynn was carrying our fourth child. And about four months into the pregnancy, she began to bleed a lot. Um, we went to the doctor and the doctor basically said, I think you're going to lose this child. Um, but uh, just at the last ditch effort, we're going to tell you to go strict bed rest and see what happens. Well, five months of strict bed rest later, God provided a son, our only son, Dwight. Um, God's provision again. Now, the story doesn't end there because when Dwight was about five years old, we decided to take the family to Williamsburg, Virginia for a little vacation. Um, in fact, I have a picture here of uh, the four of them standing at the base of the Loch Ness Monster. It's the first roller coaster that the girls ever went on. Dwight was too little. He didn't make the height um, requirement. But it was the day that we went to the water park down there um, that I remember most vividly. We got there right as the park opened, and none of the rides were operating yet. So we decided, well, let's go preview three or four of the rides, see which one we want to do, and then we'll come back and start our journey. So we did that, and I think we, as I recall, we came back to the very first ride that we had seen. We said, all right, that's the one we're going to do. So as we start through the line, because now they had opened the line, three flashes of light zoomed by me. Um, it was my three daughters. And, um, you know, I, I gave a feeble, wait for me, and, um, you know, they, they didn't hear that at all. They, they just could contain their excitement no more. So they're on there running up ahead, so I figure I better get it in gear and I better catch up to them. So we climb all the way to the stairs, all the way to the top of this ride. I stop, I look around, there's the three girls, and Dwight is nowhere to be found. I was like, uh-oh, we left them behind. So after a few choice words for the girls, I turned around and I started making my way back down the stairs, back through the line of people that had now assembled behind us looking for Dwight. You know, maybe he was um, behind us somewhere in the line. I got all the way back to the beginning of the line, and there's my wife, because she doesn't go on these rides, she just like watches. And she's like, what's the problem? It's like, uh, we lost our son. We lost our five-year-old son in a theme park that had literally thousands of people in it. Now, in that moment, I really needed God to come through again. I desperately needed God's provision. Uh, how about you? Have you ever lost a child in a department store or maybe even in a theme park? Um, I'm wondering, what did that feel like? Did you cry out in your heart for God's help in that instant? Or can you think of a time in your life when you desperately needed God to come through? We all have those times. Well, what we want to say this morning is that provision is related to a journey, 
and that the spiritual equivalent of provision is that God provides for us what he knows we need, not necessarily what we think we need, and he does it in his own perfect timing. Again, that doesn't always coincide, coincide with the timing that we think it should be happening in. But God has painted a beautiful picture of this very process in the life of Abraham. Now, Abraham uh, went on to become the father of the Jewish nation. And we know that Jesus came from that line. And, um, and so he was a very important person um, in the story that God is telling. But before we get into Abram's story, I just want to do a little background because we are going to be looking at the names of God and the importance of those names. So I want to do a quick review of some of the names that we find for God in the book of Genesis. So the first one that we come across in Genesis chapter 1 is Elohim. And Elohim is basically the name for creator God, God the creator. Now, a couple of weeks back, we did a series on the character of God, specifically about his creative power, that God is the creator. And we marveled at his creation. Interesting thing about Elohim is that it's a plural. Um, why would you use a plural noun for one God? Well, we know that and we believe that God is three persons in one God. It's what we call the doctrine of the Trinity. So here, Elohim is plural. It seems to indicate that God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit were all active in this process of creation. Moving on to the next name, and we find this in the very next chapter in Genesis, in Genesis chapter 2, the Lord is referred to by actually four Hebrew consonants. There are no vowels in this name for God. Um, we've added the vowels, and it could be pronounced alternately Yahweh, or perhaps you've heard of it pronounced as Jehovah. Um, but originally, in the Hebrew, it was just consonants. And the reason for that is that this name was thought to be so holy by the Jewish people that they wouldn't even dare pronounce it. Um, in fact, it, after a period of time, they actually stopped writing it, and they would substitute the next word that we're going to come across, Adonai, in many cases. Uh, but this basically refers to God as the self-existent one, and it's the, the name we, we see that where God begins to interact with mankind, with the human race, because there's something special about us. It's different from all of the other animal life and plant life, and God has a special relationship with us. So this is that name that he revealed himself uh, to us as. And then the next name we already mentioned is Adonai. It simply means master or lord, just like in a um, master-servant relationship. And finally, we're going to come across this name, El Shaddai. And El Shaddai means the Almighty One, or it can also mean the All-Sufficient One. And as we progress through this story, and as we see over and over again God's provision, this name um, really comes to mean uh, God is the one who sustains us. So, uh, back to Abraham's story. 
What we are going to see here, uh, preview it for you, is that God is not oblivious to our heart-wrenching and desperate situations, but rather our struggles become the stage on which our faith and our worship are acted out. So we begin in Genesis chapter 12 with the story of Abram. Now his name eventually gets changed to Abraham, and I'm going to mix them up as we go through this. I always do. But it starts out, the man is Abram. So it's Genesis 12:1. The Lord, Yahweh, said to Abram, Go from your country, your people, and your father's household to the land I will show you. Now we first note that God calls Abraham. He's actually about 75 years old when this happens. Uh, he, he calls him to go on a journey. There's that word again. And with that call, he makes him a promise. Now, the promise was that he would bless him with um, many descendants, and then from his descendants would form this nation, the nation of Israel, that would be a blessing for all the people of the world. So in response to God's call, because God is always calling us, the question is, what do we do with that call? What is our response? Well, this was Abram's response. He left his father and his mother and everything he knew about life. He took his wife, Sarai. He took his nephew, Lot. He himself had no children at this time. And he set out for a, a land that God was going to show him. Um, he eventually gets to that land. It's called the land of Canaan. It's today as present-day Israel. Uh, he spends some time there until a famine comes into the land, and then they decide to move over to Egypt uh, to, in order to uh, ride out the famine. While he is in Egypt, he picks up at least one more person that he adds to his entourage, and that is an Egyptian slave girl named Hagar. She becomes Sarai's handmaid, a personal servant, if you will. So more about Hagar to come. But the point I want you to notice at this point in the journey is that faith takes God at his word and obeys him. So Abraham, Abram's, Abram's journey starts with the call of God, and so does yours. In what ways has God been calling you lately? While I have personally never heard God's voice audibly, I do hear God speak to me in my spirit all the time. Sometimes we get going and it becomes like a raging conversation back and forth. Um, the thing to remember at this stage is that faith takes God at his word and obeys him. And that's exactly what Abram did. Now, uh, the next part of the story we come across in Genesis chapter 15. After this, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Do not be afraid, Abram. I am your shield and your very great reward. But Abram said, Sovereign Lord, and he used the term Adonai here, what can you give me since I remain childless? And the one who will inherit my estate is Eliezer of Damascus. And Abram said, you have given me no children, so a servant in my household will be my heir. So Abram looks at this situation from a purely human perspective, 
and he has no son, he has no child that's going to carry on his name. So what would happen in that case is he would leave all of his inheritance to his most trusted servant. And it's interesting that he used Adonai um, in his reference to God. Um, just as Eliezer is a trusted servant to Abraham, Abraham views himself at this point as a trusted servant, or at least as a servant to God. That's the relationship at this point. Well, then God does something um, to try to um, build up his faith a little bit. He makes a ceremonial covenant with Abraham. And we won't go into the whole ceremony of it, but it was a, a, a thing that, uh, that God did in his presence, uh, kind of like a contract, right? We're going to kind of formalize this promise into a contract now. And um, he did that to try to reassure Abraham whose faith at this point was weak. Now, Sarai was also privy to this promise. She knew what God had promised them both, and her faith was also weak. But Sarai took it a step farther, and she hatched a plan to kind of help out God's plan. And her plan was this. She suggested that Abram take Hagar, her servant, and um, that he marry her, and that they have a, a child together because she felt that this was my, maybe her problem, that they couldn't have a child. Now, that, um, back for that day and that culture was not an un unusual thing. Men had more than one wife. They had concubines. Um, but um, the problem was that um, this didn't turn out too well. Before we move on, though, I want to ask you a question have you come to the point in your journey maybe where you've heard the call of God, you've answered the call of God, you're now following him, and you're hanging on to his promise? I mean, that's what we do as Christians. We say, God has made me a promise, and I'm going to act on this promise. But perhaps it's been a long time since he made that promise to you, and you can't see how that's going to work out. Um, this happens to all of us. Perhaps you've grown tired of waiting for God to actually come through with what he's promised you. So if you are at that stage in your journey today, this is the thing to remember. Don't abandon the way of faith for the way of human calculation. As we move on to the next chapter, Genesis 16, we see just how bad of an idea that this really was that Sarai had. So Hagar is now pregnant with Abram's child. And Sarai is predictably jealous. I mean, you put yourself in her position, that's just what she's going to feel. Hagar begins to despise Sarah, right? The two women um, sharing um, Abram as their husband. And now Sarai actually begins to physically and psychologically mistreat Hagar. Because remember, Sarai is still the one in the position of power, right? One's a slave and one is the master. Well, this goes on to the point where Hagar comes to the end, literally the end of her rope. She cannot take the abuse anymore. And so while she's still pregnant, she runs away into a desert um, presumably she maybe was trying to get back to her home country of Egypt, 
But the distance and her condition, um, it was a certain death sentence. And while she's there in the desert, in her desperation, she encounters the angel of the Lord, literally the angel of Yahweh. And he tells her to return home and to submit to Sarah. Not an easy, um, not an easy thing to do, but that was the advice. And then it goes on to say in verse 11 this, the angel of the Lord also said to her, you are now pregnant and you will give birth to a son. You shall name him Ishmael, which means God hears. For the Lord has heard of your misery. And she gave this name to the Lord who spoke to her. You are the God who sees me. For she said, I have now seen the one who sees me. Well, it's interesting, um, and we're going to see this um, encounter with the angel of the Lord one more time in this story. So I won't give it all away. But it is interesting that she says about this angelic being, I have now seen the one who sees me. So uh, take that for what it is. And like I said, we'll come back to this angel of the Lord, angel of Yahweh at the end of this story. For Hagar, the situation had become unbearable and her desperation caused her first to flee and then drove her to her knees. Can you remember a time in your life when you felt this desperate? Perhaps you're facing that situation today. The thing to remember at this stage is that God sees my distress and he hears my cry for help. Well, Abram is now about 86 years old when Ishmael is born. Now, at this point, Abram must have believed that this was... The comprom this compromise solution was, in actuality, the answer to God's promise. He now had a son of his own. He had become focused on what he thought was God's provision, but it was not. He had given up on the real promise and was trusting in something that was a mere compromise. Ishmael was not the son of God's promise. And yet, another 13 years passes before we see God come back onto the scene. And this we pick up in Genesis chapter 17. When Abram was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to him and said, I am God Almighty, El Shaddai. Walk before me faithfully and be blameless. Then I will make my covenant between me and you and will greatly increase your numbers. Now, during this exchange with God, a number of things happen. Um, one is that Abram gets a new name. He goes from Abram, which means exalted father, and God changes his name to Abraham, which means father of multitudes. So we begin to see we're getting closer and closer to that promise being fulfilled. He also changes Sarai's name to Sarah, and God goes on in this encounter to make it crystal clear to Abraham now that Ishmael was not the son of the promise. He was not the fulfillment of God's promise. And just about one year later, Sarah gives birth to Isaac. 
Now, we, we talked about what's in a name. All these names have tremendous significance. Um, some of our names we pick because they just sound pretty. These names all had meanings behind them. What do you think Isaac means? It means he laughs. Because both Abraham and Sarai, when God had told them at 99 and 90 years of age that they would still have this child of their own, they both laughed in their heart. So God names, says, name the child Isaac. Remember that you laughed at my promise, but God came through. And the thing to remember here, not remember so much as just be thankful for, is that God is faithful even when my faith falters. So if I were writing this story as a novel, I think I would probably just bring it to a conclusion right there, and they lived happily ever after. But that's not actually the end of the story, is it? So when Isaac is, we're not sure, but maybe about 15 years old, God tests Abraham's faith one more time. And um, we pick up the story in Genesis 22. Now I'm going to read through most of this because I have to read through it for you to really get the impact that uh, it brings. So follow along as we start in verse 1 of chapter 22. Sometime later, God tested Abraham, and he said, Abraham, here I am, he replied. Then God said, take your son, your only son, whom you love, Isaac, and go to the region of Moriah. Sacrifice him there as a burnt offering on a mountain I will show you. Now I'm sure... Once Abraham picked himself back up off the floor, um, that this wasn't something that he just said, oh yeah, sure, sacrifice Isaac, the son of promise. I don't know how he digested it, but all I know from the text is that it says early the next morning. So he didn't have to wrestle with it too long. Abraham got up and loaded his donkey. He took with him two of his servants and his son Isaac. When he had cut enough wood for the burnt offering, he set out for the place God had told him about. And on the third day, what else do we know happened on the third day? It has something to do with the resurrection. On the third day, Abraham looked up and saw the place in the distance. He said to his servants, stay here with the donkey while I and the boy go over there. We will worship and then we will come back to you. Now, the New Testament commentary on this passage in Hebrews that talks about Abraham's faith says that Abraham reasoned that even if he were to kill his son in obedience to God, that God had the power to raise him back to life. That, again, is tremendous faith. Verse 6, Abraham took the wood for the burnt offering and placed it on his son Isaac, and he himself carried the fire and the knife, and the two of them went on together. Isaac spoke up and said to his father, Abraham, Father, yes, my son, the fire and the wood are here, but where is the lamb for the burnt offering? And Abraham answered, God himself will provide the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. And the two of them went on together. When they reached the place God had told him about, Abraham built an altar there and arranged the wood on it. 
he bound his son Isaac and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. Then he reached out his hand and took the knife to slay his son. But the angel of the Lord called out to him from heaven, Abraham, Abraham, here I am, he replied. Do not lay a hand on the boy. Do not do anything to him. Now I know that you fear God because you have not withheld from me your son, your only son. Now please notice once again who stopped Abraham from plunging that dagger into his son's chest. It was the angel of the Lord, the angel of Yahweh. It was also the angel of Yahweh that met Hagar in the desert of her despair. Now, the angel of the Lord appears infrequently in the Old Testament and never in the New Testament. So who is this angelic being? Well, there is some dispute among scholars who it is. I personally believe that it's Jesus, a pre-incarnate appearance of Jesus, the second person of the Holy Trinity. And if it is Jesus... How fitting that God's son, who would be sacrificed for us, was the one to stop Abraham from sacrificing his. Now that is provision. We go on, finish out the story. Abraham looked up and there in a thicket he saw a ram caught by its horns. And he went over and took the ram and sacrificed it as a burnt offering instead of his son. So Abraham called that place The Lord will provide. Yahweh, Yarah. And to this day it is said, on the mountain of the Lord, it will be provided. So that brings us to the end of Abram's journey. My question for you this morning is, what has God commanded you to do? Now the chances are that if you haven't gone through the rest of Abram's journey, you might not be at this point today in your journey with God. Nevertheless, there's bound to be some of you within earshot of my voice for whom God is telling you, give me your son or daughter. Give me your marriage. Give me your career. Stop clinging to whatever that is so tightly and open your hands and let it go. Stop trying to force the outcome that you want. Let it go. Give it to God and let him do with it as he knows best. This is the pinnacle of our faith journey with God. For faith surrenders the best to God, holding nothing back. It is exactly what God has already done for you. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whosoever believes in him, that is in Jesus, will not perish but have everlasting life. Where are you in your spiritual journey today? Is God calling you? Are you at the beginning? Have you heard his voice? Is he calling you to follow him? That might be your first step. Or have you already made that decision to follow him and he's given you a promise and you're trying to hang on to that promise, but it's been a long time since he made it 
and you can't see any way that it's going to come true. Don't be tempted to take your own shortcut in that. Keep on trusting God. Maybe you're at the place where Hagar was, outcast, on your knees, total desperation. Or are you wrestling this morning with surrendering that thing that you just can't let go of? Whatever your situation, I'm here to tell you that God is the great provider and a true worshiper holds nothing back, giving obediently to God, trusting in his provision. Let's pray together. Father God, you are the great I am. You are the God that appeared to Abram all those times. You called him. You reassured him. You made a promise to him. You delivered on that promise. And then when it looked like it was going to all go away, Abram continued to believe in you and in your plan. Ultimately, you provided your very own son to die in our place so that we would not have to. Father, what a provision it is that you have given us Jesus. We thank you today. We shout your praises in Jesus' name. Amen.